Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Ops Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, and welcome back to the show. Today we're going to the state side, San Francisco, to learn all about AR. Now, for those who don't know, this is short for augmented reality. And I'll leave it to Scott, my guest today, to explain this for what this really is. Scott is the CEO and founder of Scope AR, who bring augmented reality technologies into the mainstream in various industries. So I'm very excited to learn more about this space, including Scott's journey into AR, what inspired him to move in this direction, what benefits can it bring your organization, and what the future holds. So welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks very much for having me. No, and thank you for your time. I know you're, you're very busy at the moment. Um, so listen, I'll jump straight into it, Scott. Tell us a bit about yourself, who you are. Uh, sure, yeah. Been uh, technical. You know, I started coding when I was about 14. And I've always been a bit of an entrepreneur. Uh, I, I joined my first startup when I was 17, straight out of high school. And uh, we fortunately had a successful exit. And I stayed with that company for a few years. And then uh, I left and, and built another company. And that one was not successful. And I uh, started a few other ones and started Scope. So I... Uh, yeah, just I, I really enjoy coding. I really enjoy building things. Enjoy you know changing the world and, and making the world a better place. Awesome. So tell us, you know, I've done some podcasts already on virtual reality, and I think in general our users have a good understanding of virtual reality. But what is augmented reality, AR, in short? Yeah. So I guess I would summarize augmented reality being merging the real world with the virtual world. So what I mean by that is, is typically you're uh, looking through either you know, the camera of a phone to see you know, a 3D model augmenting on top of the actual real-world camera image, or you're looking through a pair of augmented reality glasses where, so they're, they're see-through, they're like sunglasses, right. and they're superimposing an image on top of your reality. So whereas virtual reality will take you into a new space, you, know, you could be on Mars, you could be in the middle of a, of a surgical facility, Augmented reality allows you to stay in your current reality and see what you're normally seeing, but augmenting it with data or 3D models or other things uh, superimposed on top of it. Okay, cool. And in terms of hardware, I mean, how far along? I mean, can I mean, do you just need an iPhone mostly, or do you need like special glasses? I know you mentioned there are some glasses. Yeah, it really depends on the experience. Uh, I'm sure everybody is familiar with Pokemon Go. Um, yes. So that was a you know, very early uh, version of augmented reality. So certainly some experiences you can, you can do on phones and it's you know, easy. Everybody already has a phone that supports it. If you really want uh, an enhanced experience, then there are a few pairs of glasses on the market. By far the most advanced is the Microsoft HoloLens. And you know, this device, uh, it, it's fairly bulky. It's not very comfortable. You know, it's certainly okay. a lot bigger than a pair of sunglasses. But what it does allow you to do is, is place objects in your, in your reality and, and augment your surroundings. Right. Uh, and then uh, interact with your surroundings with your hands. So you can literally you know, pick up things off the ground and then have them move around. You can play piano in the middle of your, of your space just by tapping into space. So it's a, a really cool experience. Wow, awesome. And is this, I mean, at what stage would you say we're at in terms of AR? Are we at early stages? 
you know, is it kind of getting well developed now or? Yeah, you know, the way I always like to describe where we are with the market is we're probably around the iPhone 1 or the iPhone 3G stage of the iPhone's development. You know, if we think about how, you know, the, the smartphone really develops, first you had the BlackBerry. And, yeah. you know, it, it really took off with businesses and the, the killer use case was all about checking your email while on the go. But it really took, you know, the iPhone, the, the swipe gestures, the touchpad on your screen to be able to uh, bring it into the mainstream. And I think we're just getting to that point with augmented reality where, you know, we have the tools, we have the available hardware to make really cool user experiences, but we're, you know, still pretty early and uh, the use cases and the business models are still being discovered. And, uh, you know, there's only, a, there's only a few that are successful at the moment, but over the next couple of years, you know, I, I really think we're at that hockey stick inflection point where, all the things are coming together between the hardware, the use cases, the user interface experience, and we're starting to see some really great experiences. Awesome. So, I mean, how, do, how did you get involved in AR? I mean, how did you get into this area? So it's a bit of a long and twisting tale, but the, the short version is um, back in 2011, I was trying to build some computer vision for something else that uh, didn't actually work out. Okay. But I uh, started like, using my computer vision for augmented reality. So uh, at first, just recognizing simple images. So at first we started looking at the advertising and marketing market, you know, trying to interact with billboards and advertisements and stuff like that. But back in 2011, nobody was willing to pay for that. Nobody knew how to make this work and it didn't work all that well, to be honest. But we had this customer that came to us and, and asked, wow, this is cool. Can we use this for, for training purposes? And we thought, oh, that's a cool idea. So we did a quick proof of concept with them. Uh, this was on the iPad too. So, okay. you know, the first tablet with a camera. So it was very, very early. And it was very successful. And they, and they said, wow, this is amazing. This is the future. We, we want to show this at a trade show next year. And we want a pair of, of AR glasses. So they gave us a big pile of money to, to go uh, buy every pair of AR glasses on the market. <laughs> and they said, you know, if, if you can't find anything, we want you to build some. So we ended up building some. Wow. We, uh, we hacked together uh, an early pair of AR glasses. And it was, it was one of the very first pair of AR glasses to kind of show practical use cases. And uh, the trade show was immensely successful. We were only supposed to show it a few days over the, the three-day show, but we ended up showing it about 100 times. And people kept crowding around the booth saying, oh my God, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. This is absolutely the future. And this one guy's story sticks out. So the, the procedure we were, we were showing was this piece of mining equipment. It was um, assembling and disassembling this, this quarter-million-dollar piece of equipment. And this guy came up to us and he says, I've been maintaining this piece of equipment for my entire career, 35 years. I just learned how to do it properly. I never knew it was just so easy. It was a prescribed method to do the maintenance. I've trained hundreds of other people in the field to do this the wrong way. I've probably cost the company tens of millions of dollars and shortened the lifespan of the equipment by half. So I, like, this is amazing. I need this technology. So at that point, the, the light bulb kind of went off for us thinking, oh, wow, this is, this is really something that's viable. But we were still very early. I mean, that trade show was in 2012. And so over the years, we got some contracts with Boeing and Toyota and NASA to build some proof of concepts. But it wasn't really until 2015 that we decided that the actual market dynamics were starting to shift to make it a viable business. So at that point, we started hiring employees. We, we raised a bit of funding. And it even turned out that was pretty early. Ideally, you probably would have waited until about 2017. Mm. That was really when you know, the hardware market really actually started to mature. And uh, even today, I mean, we're, we're just at that inflection point where the market adoption is, is starting to be there. So Incredible. And just, I mean... It's interesting. I mean, you say that you started in 2011, but it was really 2015 where it kind of, kind of started getting serious. 
I mean, how did you manage that period then between, you know, was it like getting a couple of small projects here and there? Or were you going to do another projects at the same time to keep the company going? Yeah. So, I mean, it was a bit of a hobby for the first few years. Right. Myself and my two co-founders, we all had different jobs. And, uh, you know, we were all working more than full time on these other jobs. So this was, you know, kind of an evenings and weekends type thing. Just, you know, we, <clears throat> we did it because we were passionate. We thought, you know, it might turn into something at some point. And, uh, but, you know, we just had to wait for the market timing to, to really start going. So that was when, uh, you know, in 2015, we saw Google Glass being launched and, and a few other pieces of hardware that we thought meant the industry was starting to get going. And uh, that was kind of the sign we needed to start getting going. Wow. And yeah, I mean, it was fantastic. You had that experience from those other companies. And, and it's in, I thought it was quite interesting where you had some success, but you also had some failure. I mean, that experience, how much value did that bring to you in this current company? Oh, an incredible amount. You know, I, I think very few people get something right the first time. And so, you know, you've got to go through a few iterations to start learning what works and what doesn't. And some, you know, sometimes you can get lucky, but mostly it's just hard work and, and learning tough lessons on what to do and what not to do. Yeah, com- completely. I mean, and what you mentioned there, it sounds like you got very lucky to start with that company, invest in you guys and to enable to develop those, the glasses. And then it was like, it really was a long period before you really got that next success from what I understand. It's just, you know, but it, it, that's, it's, it's hard work. Time has to go into these things. Is there any kind of key lessons you say would stand out that you've learned from this, that experience, you know, over the years in terms of building a company and when to invest and when, you know, like for example, when you went for funding there or when to invest in staff and take it to the next level, get the new clients. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, there are, there are a lot of lessons. I think one of the, one of the best lessons is spending a lot of time with your customers, okay. really understanding their problems. You know, it's really easy for an entrepreneur, especially, you know, when it's, when it's your baby, it's your passion. It's really easy for an entrepreneur to kind of stick your head in the sand and just think that you know everything and you know exactly what your customers want. But that's probably not true, unless you're Steve Jobs. Steve yeah. Jobs famously ignored a whole lot of uh, customer feedback and built an amazing product, but most people aren't like that. <laughs> so really spending time with your customers to understand what their problems are being vulnerable and being open, you know, your product may suck, but it's going to hurt to hear because uh, you spent, you know, a long time uh, yeah. working on it. But that's only inevitably going to lead to pain, potentially, you know, your a product, you know, potentially catastrophic failure. Whereas if you're, you know, curious and you uh, under, want to understand why the customer thinks your product sucks, then, you know, but you can at least try to make it better. Yeah. Um, or, you know, generally you will make it better if you're passionate in it. Another lesson would be, uh, you know, hire the best people. They really do talk about, you know, the best people and developers uh, money can buy. Um, that's absolutely critical to have the best team around you to be able to succeed. What else? Sorry, sorry, just on that one there. Was that a big challenge then? Because, you know, obviously the cost and talent where you're based is a massive expense. I don't know what kind of budget you would have had. Or is that, is that when you went for funding and said, okay, we need X, we have to invest in it. How did you? Yeah. Yeah, certainly. I guess that's another lesson. You know, recruiting is incredibly important. You know, I've come to believe that when you start a company, you need three main functions. You need somebody who can build your product for you. So probably somebody that knows how to code, somebody who can sell your product for you to go get customers and, and, and gain traction with your product and somebody to recruit your team for you. Now that could be, you know, two people They cover, you know, between the two of them, the three skills, but you absolutely need those skills. and you know, recruiting is incredibly important to be, you know, early on, you have no money, you have no traction and you're recruiting the right people to join your company and maybe 
you know, working for far less than market value for, you know, some phantom value in the, in the future. Uh, that's yes. an incredibly important skill to, and it really important to be able to find the best possible people to take your vision forward. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And thank you for sharing those points. Really, really very, very helpful, Scott. Let's get, okay, let's get back to AR. So, I mean, it's still really, it's early days, but is, this, is it geared towards certain industries then at the moment still, or is it all industries? I mean, what kind of stuff are you guys doing in this space? Yeah, so uh, certainly there's, there's opportunity all over the place. Um, right. You know, at the end of the day, the way we, we think about the utility of augmented reality is all about knowledge transfer. So because you can overlay information on top of your real world, that's an incredible way to, to interact with the way that we interact with the world you know, visually and tactically. So you know, being able to see, you know, for example, an animation in front of you showing you how to do something or you know, just an arrow being dropped in front of you to show you where to go in the world, that's an incredibly powerful way to receive information. So you know, I think over the next five years, every industry is going to be impacted by augmented reality. It's just, yeah, it's so intuitive. If we think about, the way, the way I always kind of explain our product is, Everybody has made a mistake putting together IKEA furniture. I know I have. Yeah. Um, and the reason, the reason why is because uh, you take these you know, poorly drawn two-dimensional instructions where you know, one screw looks the same as another screw and one board looks the same as another board. And when you put them together, you can put them together in the wrong orientation. And you don't know that you've made a mistake until about three-quarters of the way through the process yes. when something else doesn't fit. And you're like, ah, crap. Yeah. So... <laughs> The reason we make that mistake is is all the mental mapping. So it's it's taking these 2D instructions and applying them to the real world. And there's a lot of interpretation mistakes that we can make. But in augmented reality, if you can see those uh, that piece of IKEA furniture being built step by step in front of you, there's a very little chance that you're going to make mistakes. It just it doesn't leave a lot of room for interpretation and error. So we apply that to industries in terms of uh, use cases around manufacturing, maintenance instructions, training, and Really, that takes advantage of that increased medium for knowledge transfer into our brains to improve the amount of information that people can consume and decrease errors. So specifically, the industries that we've chosen to target because they've got the characteristics around where we're seeing a lot of traction, specifically around you know, how they can use the hardware and the use cases and, the, and just the numbers aligning. We're quite strong in the uh, aerospace industry. So one of our, kind of our flagship customers is Lock, Lockheed Martin. And we're actually building the next space shuttle with them, which is really, really cool. So basically what's happening there is you've got these technicians that are wearing these uh, AR glasses and it's showing them in 3D space, you know, what part to put where, maybe a pattern of how to drill holes or the pattern for how to fasten uh, screws to a particular torque setting or something like that. So they're seeing dramatic improvements in that those types of use cases, you know, up to 90% improvement in efficiency, which is pretty astonishing. That's incredible. And, yeah. And uh, seeing other success in, in, uh, in aerospace and a few other industries as well. Other industries we really go after is industrial equipment. So primarily the use cases around there are, are maintenance and, and training type use cases. So, you know, being able to guide technicians remotely out in the fields, they come across this equipment, they might be, you know, generically aware of how to fix this a piece of equipment like that, but not particularly familiar with this exact piece of equipment. So if you can over, overlay these instructions on top of the equipment, they, you can teach this, mecha- uh, this mechanic in the field you know, how, to, uh, how to work on this, that procedure much better. 
Then finally, the third market we go after is life sciences. And it's similar to industrial equipment, but essentially it's setup, maintenance, training on life sciences equipment, stuff like the dialysis machines you might find in hospitals. And again, the same characteristics as the industrial equipment. Very interesting. And in terms of, do you guys then, do you provide full-in solution? I mean, do you provide the hardware and the glasses, you build the software, you manage it, is the whole end-to-end? Or how does it work exactly? So we, we don't, we, we can sell hardware. Uh, we have reseller agreements with some of the, uh, the manufacturers, but generally we, we're trying to be purely agnostic to hardware. Okay. Um, so we're a, you know, generally a software vendor. We have a whole software ecosystem. So it's beginning with an authoring platform that allows you to, you as a, a manufacturer or even an individual, to download 3D models and then put them in the software and then build simple animations to show somebody how to do something. So it's, it, the, the software is a bit like a, a movie editor. It's got a timeline and you know, allows you to build you know, keyframes to show uh, these animations. And the idea is that it makes it very easy to then push that out to a mobile device like a phone or a pair of glasses to illustrate some piece of instructions for some training purpose or, or, or maintenance purpose. And then there's a the capability around uh, remote calling. So if you've got somebody in the field and you just want to call them over FaceTime, yeah. what you can do is you, you can call them uh, over video, but then add in those, those 3D models, maybe a really simple arrow just to show somebody you know, where to walk to or you know, which screw needs to be removed. Or you can show the full 3D model with full animations and instructions while collaborating between the two parties. So it's an amazingly efficient way to, tra- to transfer knowledge. So it's, it's that kind of full ecosystem, and there's a back end that kind of handles user management and all the data and analytics that get collected through those procedures, which provide really interesting insights back to the organizations. Wow. Incredible. I mean, absolutely incredible. So, I mean, if I was a company now and I was looking about, that sounds interesting, but how would I go about saying, you know, how would I look at next steps? So do I look at, say, is it a massive budget to invest in this? Like, would it have to be at a certain level first? How would you go about looking at for your on any organization? Let's, if you can give me an example of talking to, how would they approach it? I mean, what would benefits they'd look for in order to take it to the next steps? Um, how does that all work? Essentially, the way we can get started is, you know, give us a call. We'll engage. We'll see if the use cases is suitable. One of the things with with augmented reality right now is that there are use cases that work extremely well. You know, for example, that ninety percent improvement in manufacturing efficiency that obviously the ROI on that is incredibly high. And there's some, some use cases that just don't work very well at all. So, you know, we, we like to consult early on, uh, ensure the use case will align really, really well with the technology that you know, we can for a really great return on investment for, for it. And then we can go one of two ways. We can kind of let you go and you can use the authoring platform and start building instructions just like you would with, you know, iMovie. Or we have an internal team that can also help you you know, maybe build out your first use case, prove the technology uh, works, prove out a really small ROI to begin with, and then and then kind of grow from there. So, you know, we, we really want our, our customers to be extremely successful and, and show value right off the bat. So we're pretty hands-on to help. Cool. And is there, I mean, these projects, I mean, is there like an, and it's very difficult probably to say, is there an average length to these projects, you know, to do like the first user case? Is there any kind of statistics you can give in terms of you know going about this how long would it take so we, we can get started uh in as little as two hours we've had customers oh. that have come to us and you know same day or or a few hours later 
our team can put together, uh, you know, a very simple project to illustrate something, and then they can go and, and, and use it in the field to establish some type of, of ROI. We kind of think of the, the authoring software just like PowerPoint. You know, it's, it's really easy to take half an hour and build a, a basic PowerPoint you know, okay. with basic fonts and a lot of information. But you can also spend, you know, months building right. a really beautiful PowerPoint if you really want to. Just you know, putting a lot of images in and, you know, a lot of bells and whistles. So it's, it's the same as, as this. You know, you can do, do something pretty basic in, in a couple hours. And then you can spend however long you want polishing it and adding anything. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, the, the point is, though, that it's, it's, you know, it's drag and drop. It's easy to use. There's no coding. You know, it's very intuitive for people to get started with. So, you know, we, our mission is to really democratize this technology so that, you know, in the future, when this is viable for many, many different use cases, you know, for example, I'd love to get instructions on fixing my dishwasher, for example. Yeah. I would be able to, you know, just get my phone, point to the dishwasher, it recognizes the model, downloads some instructions, shows me how to uh, perform exactly. maintenance on it. That would be ideal. Or anything from plumbing to electrical to, you know, just that's kind of the dream. Yeah. And that sounds awesome. The fact that you can do a simple PLC. So quickly to validate the concept before you invest heavily. So that's my understanding in this technology. Yeah. Very cool. And I mean, it's interesting as well that, you know, it seems to be a natural evolution at the way we're going in the current environment, you know, with COVID, remote working, people not traveling, even my own self, I'm not traveling a fraction where I did in the past. And I'm delighted with that. And, and I will be maintaining that going forward in the future. And it sounds like this is going to be the same as, I mean, in terms of these kind of companies that having these people travel all over the world just to maintain systems or train people with this new technology, then is, it, are we, is this the new future then? That will be less people traveling? Um, do you need, does that also mean less skilled workers are required? Would you? Yeah, I mean, uh, so I don't know about the, the less skilled workers, but certainly okay. the, the requirement for, for less travel is, is absolutely true. You know, so, uh, you know, I think the way that the economy works is, we try to do as much as possible with the available resources. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think you know, talking about a reduction in labor force is probably not true. You know, yeah. we're going to keep allowing people with knowledge to go out and, you know, add value. So if I'm a company and I can make my workers more efficient and do more work and, and you know, be able to make more money, that's probably the economics we're talking about. But certainly the, um, yeah, reduced travel and, and just improved efficiency of my workforce I definitely think that's the future. I was on a call with one of our customers at a pretty high level. I think he was, he was a VP. Okay. Um, he mentioned, he said, during this time of COVID, there's going to be certain technologies that companies adopt as a stopgap. And then they go back to the old way of doing things. This is not one of those technologies. This is going to revolutionize the way we do uh, business forever. So I, I just love that quote because I think it speaks to you know, the, the, the significant change in, in uh, technology. I think it's kind of similar to working from home. You know, previously, I think a lot of companies were very much against working from home. I was one of them. I, yeah. I you know, I commuted two hours a day to, wow. to get into the city and uh, to just be with my people because I, I felt like, you know, as a leader, I needed to be there to collaborate, uh, set a great example. But it turns out the company is actually probably more efficient when everybody works from home. <laughs> and I think a lot of organizations are feeling that if they're able to. Yeah. And so I, I think I see the same trend with our technology, just like, you know, communicating over Zoom, turns out it's actually almost as efficient as being in person, being able to commute over uh, or to communicate over augmented reality in, in our tools is proving to be very efficient as well. You can avoid sending a truck out to a, a facility, you can avoid getting on a plane, you know, there's just so many benefits in terms of improved efficiency, reduced downtime that we're seeing with the technology. Wow. 
So with the current environment, so have you seen, have you seen a huge pickup in business then? Follow up with that? Yeah. Initially, you know, when COVID hit, it was a little scary. Uh, we right. had a lot of customers that, that went through a lot of layoffs. But after the first few weeks, when, when companies kind of got over the panic and, and figured, tried to figure out, okay, you know, we're in this for the long haul. How do we sustain our operations? We definitely saw a big uptick. We actually went through a few, few scary moments ourselves where our, our servers were melting because we were adding so many users every week, which is a great problem to have. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be complaining with that myself. Well, yeah, uh, it, it, unless you can't figure out those problems. But uh, yeah, no, we, we got through it and it was definitely a good sign. So what does the future hold? I mean, in the AR space and also for you and your company? Yeah, I mean, so I think right now um, we're, we're kind of entering that inflection point. We've got some really great hardware in the market. I'm very excited about the future iPhone. It's, it's remember to have a, a death camera on it. A death camera, by the way, allows you to build a very detailed 3D environment uh, just through the camera. And so that allows you to have a really great augmented reality experience. So I'm very excited that you know, the hardware is really starting to accelerate with some great features that are going to enable us to provide a really great user experience for our, our customers. You know, I think the, the awareness around augmented reality and its benefits is starting to become you know, mainstream. No longer do we have to educate our customers about the difference between virtual reality and augmented reality. You know, generally, they, they've already, they already know. And generally, they've already gone through proven concepts to understand you know, the power of it and uh, you know, now just want to get started and figure out how they scale this in, produ- in a production. They're looking for a partner that, that can, can scale that way. And yeah, I mean, as an industry, I think it's, it's uh, really an exciting time. We've uh, proven the, the value of it. COVID has kind of forced companies out of their old way of doing things into new ways of doing things, like I said, or, you know, yeah. uh, similar to, to Zoom meetings. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's exciting. I, I think awesome. it's uh, yeah. just accelerating and, and becoming you know, a really mainstream reality. And so how about you and the company? I mean, where do you go from here? Expansion? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're just in, in full expansion mode. We've actually grown substantially. Actually, since the beginning of COVID, um, I think we've hired about eight or 10 people. We did an acquisition of a company in, uh, in Israel last year. And yeah, just looking forward to, to growing our customer base and uh, yeah, taking this to the moon. Awesome. Fantastic, Scott. Listen, thank you so much for taking time out today to share uh, your story. And we learned so much. If people want to reach you, I mean, how would they get in contact? So uh, our website is www.scopear.com. That's S-C-O-P-E-A-R.com. And uh, otherwise, feel free to reach me on, on LinkedIn. Uh, Scott Montgomery on LinkedIn. And uh, happy to chat. Great. Listen, thanks for your time, Scott. Thanks a lot, Ken.